Morning, everyone. Well, a lot of our friends are starting out at 111th. It's an exciting day for them and the uh, Compass Church as we expand that direction. But we still have the Hobson campus and we've only just begun, right? That was pathetic, right? We've only just begun, right? That's what we want to hear. So see those empty seats around you? Those belong to somebody who's not here yet that you need to bring. So be praying for and thinking about who we can share God's grace and God's love with in the coming days. All right, we're going to talk about pie. And uh, having been here now for nearly 10 years, I have discovered that at the Compass Church, we love to eat. And we love to eat that which is sweet. All right, so let's do a little survey this morning, see what kind of pumpkin or what kind of pie lovers we have. Gave that one away, didn't I? And to be honest with you, I can't stand pumpkin pie. It reminds me of baby food. But anyway, uh, how, many of you, how many of you are into blueberry pie? Let me see the blueberry pie fans. All right, look at that. How many of you are cherry pie fans? And because Thanksgiving's coming around the bend, how many of you are Thanksgiving pie, or Thanksgiving pumpkin pie fans? All right. All right, sick people. But anyway, I'm a little concerned, however, that some of you raised your hands for all three. All right. We'll be talking about gluttony next weekend. All right, just kidding, all right? But here's a new one for you. How many of you are eel pie fans, E-E-L? Did you know that uh, in Britain, eel pie is is very common and enjoyed, especially amongst the working class, because they have so many eels in the waterways there that they actually make eel pie. Now, personally, I like mine warmed with ice cream. Gag a maggot, just kidding, all right? But I'm serious, it's a, it's a legitimate pie that they enjoy over there, and ugh, I'm just glad that uh, it's over there. But uh, if, if some of you are from England and that's your deal, well, blessings on you. I just don't know where you find eel pie. Baker Square, I've not seen it on the menu yet. But we're going to talk about a different kind of pie today, apple pie, and, all right? Good old American apple pie. And I'm going to teach you how to make an apple pie this morning. We're going to start with the all-important pie dish or, uh, in other cases, a pie tin or pie pan. And uh, the pie dish is important because it's the pie dish that, that gives the pie its image, right? And pies, you know, pies are kind of known because they look a certain way. They look like a pie. And it's this, this bowl or this tin that gives them that shape. The same thing is true about you and me spiritually, that each one of us has been given an image by God. We have been created to look very, very unique. And when I, mean, when I say that, I don't mean the human image, you know, the human body image. I'm talking about something beyond that, that, that makes us all very much alike. Genesis talks about it in chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Finish it with me. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, what does it mean when it says that God has created us in his own image? Probably a couple of things. First of all, unlike the rest of creation, you and I had the capacity to relate to to God. Now you may like your dog, and you may like your cat, and they may almost seem more human to you than people, but the reality is they cannot have a relationship with God. You and I can. 
That's one way that we're creating God's image. A second way is that God has given us the privilege of being able to have not only a relationship with him, but to have the opportunity to make a choice for our destiny. And no other aspect of creation has that privilege. So when we say that we've been created in the image of God, what we're talking about is we've been created to have a relationship with him and we've been created to have the opportunity to make a choice regarding our destiny. Now, the next aspect to apply is the crust that's then placed into the plate. And the crust forms a shell that will receive filling, like eels. Just kidding. All right? Cherry, pumpkin, peach, pecan, or in our case, apple. And then, in a case of fruit pie, oftentimes you put crust over it and encase that in the shell itself. Well, you and I also have a shell that is meant to be filled. And let's talk about that shell for just a minute. All of us have a body. You may not like your body, all right? But we have a body that God has given to us. And that's an easy part for us to be aware of because we see our body, we touch, we can feel our body. But the Bible says that after God formed man from the ground, from the dust of the earth, he then breathed into him and he became a living being. Now that breath that God breathed into man, that's the immaterial or invisible part of each one of us. We can't see it, but we're aware of it. We feel it, our feelings. We know it, our knowledge. And we experience it with the will that we exercise. Our soul uses our brain. It uses our bodies. And we're not ever really meant to be separated from our bodies. Did you know that? Now when you die, because your body wears out, all right, the truth is your spirit or your soul is removed from your body, escapes your body, so to speak, and it goes before God where you and I will be judged. Our consciousness goes before God. But the Bible tells us it's unnatural for us to be without a body. So someday, when the Lord returns, we're going to receive a brand new body. How many of you are looking forward to that besides me? Right. It's going to be great. It's going to work right. There are going to be complications, difficulties. It will last forever. And that's what we have to look forward to. So God has given us this shell, right? He's given us this body. He's given us our soul and our spirit. And what determines our worth, our value, our purpose, our meaning in life is what we decide to fill it with. So when you go to make a pie, one of the first things you do is you decide what kind of pie it's going to be by the filling that you're going to put into it. And uh, since we're making an apple pie, we're going to actually put uh, apple filling into it. And when you do that, you just kind of empty it out. And I don't know about you, but I'm hungry. So just doing this, um, my glands begin to salivate. Whoops, don't want any metal in our pie. (laughs) In every bite, a surprise. Uh, And um, you put it in there, and then you take your spatula, right? And you kind of smooth those apples around, that filling. And then you stick it in the oven. And it's time to cook up your apple pie. Now, I would add a little bit more filling to that. But uh, it's a beautiful scene, isn't it? All right? It's a wonderful picture. And as Adam and Eve stood in the garden, the question that was before them is, 
Who or what were they going to fill their lives with? Were they going to fill their lives with God? Or were they going to fill their lives with something or someone else? Same thing is true for you and me. We face the same question. Who or what are we going to fill our lives with? I want to take you to the passage found in Genesis that talks about that. Genesis chapter 3, if you have, or yeah, Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, can't always do two things at once. And uh, open up there for a moment, and let's see that moment, that experience when Adam and Eve are in the garden, and the choice for them is, what am I going to fill my life with? Genesis chapter 3 says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So there was Adam and Eve in the garden, and there was the apple, the proverbial apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it really was. And the choice was theirs. I can either obey God and fill my life with obedience and God himself, or I can disobey God, disregard God, And take that fruit that God said I can't have or I'm not supposed to have. Now, there was nothing evil, magical, or poisonous about the fruit. What was evil was the desire of Adam and Eve. Evil because they believed, having listened to Satan's lie, that if they took that fruit, if they exercised their image, their choice, if they exercised their choice against God... And took that fruit that they would be their own gods. They would ultimately satisfy themselves. And we know what happened. We know that they took that fruit and filled their life with disobedience. And it brought no happiness and no joy. And all of us are their children because every one of us has the desire for the moment we are conceived to want to disobey God. To want to choose anything and everything to fill our lives up except for God himself. Now, what is the fruit that we are tempted to choose and pick today? The answer to the question is materialism. Materialism is the fruit the world offers us and says, if you'll take this, if you'll fill your lives up with things, you are ultimately going to be fulfilled and happy. What is materialism? Here's a definition. It comes right out of the dictionary. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Now that's not a Christian or Bible dictionary. That's just a regular old dictionary. Materialism is to believe that material things will fulfill me far more, to be more concerned about those things than spiritual values. Here's another definition. Materialism can also be defined as looking for inner fulfillment in 
outer possession. Now, let's hold the definition there for just a moment. And I want you to think about the things the world offers to us. Folks, there is nothing wrong with a car, a boat, a house. There's nothing wrong with a paycheck. There's nothing wrong even with money itself. They're just inanimate objects, inanimate things. What makes them wrong is when we believe that they will satisfy our lives. And when we devote ourselves to obtaining those things, when we sacrifice in order to obtain those things, thinking they'll fulfill us. Now listen to that definition again. Looking for inner fulfillment in outer possession. The notion that discomfort can be alleviated by something external. I'm sad, but if I had this, I'll be happy. I came across a rather lengthy quote by a professor uh, down at a college in Arkansas called Hendricks College. And he specializes in consumerism and spirituality. In his book, Living from the Center Spirituality in an Age of Consumerism, he lists uh, some of the temptations of consumerism. One of the temptations is to believe that the appearance of affluence and marketable achievement are and ought to be the central organizing principle of life. Consumerism believes that to be compulsively busy, even to the point of exhaustion, is a sign of healthy and productive living. Consumerism believes that, that having a successful career is more important than, have, than being a good parent, a good spouse, a good neighbor, or a kind and loving person. Consumerism believes that good work is reducible to making money, and unpaid work particularly in the home, is not really working. Consumerism believes that the appropriate goal in life is to enjoy prosperity in the suburbs with a perfectly manicured lawn. I was driving through my neighborhood the other day, and there's this one neighbor who has this lawn. I swear, every year they put brand new sod down. It's impeccable. It's well manicured. It's a perfect color green, and it makes me jealous. But anyway, consumerism believes that depression can be cured by shopping. I know none of you believe that. All right. It believes that the most important thing in life is to have my needs met. That's what consumerism is all about. It's all about me. It's all about the pie. I want the pie. The whole pie and nothing but the pie. And I'm going to fill my pie with all kinds of things that the world tells me I need to have. And when I get that, I am going to be fulfilled. And I'm holding this apple pie and I'm very, very hungry. And the aroma of it is filling my senses. And I could just about eat this whole pie I'm high right now. I could just about eat this whole pie right now. It is so alluring. And that's what the world does. The world knows how to make a really, really good looking pie. And it lets us salivate, smell it, touch it, play with it. And convince us if we'll just own it, we'll be so satisfied. And I really want us to get a picture of this. So we decided that we were going to have a pie eating contest this morning. And I want you... um, I want you to welcome our pie-eating celebrities from our staff. Give them a hand as they come in, all right? (laughs) All right. All right, this is uh, Julie, and Julie is our producer, puts our worship experiences together, and uh, 
uh, new on staff, but not the newest. This is John. Uh, John is responsible for, and John's daughter cheering for him, is responsible for our taking care of all the operations of the church, the details, that kind of stuff. And this is the newest member of our staff. This is Dan, who's now our high school director, Dan Vanderwall. All right. And uh, did you pay them or what, Dan? Okay, all right. All right. And the thing he's got going for him is he's Dutch, and I really appreciate that about him very much. All right. All right, now, uh, they've got their pies here, and I noticed the pies have been downscale from last night when they were almost all whipped cream, but uh, this, the evidence would be much easier here. Now, here are the rules, uh, and by the way, they volunteered to do this. I appreciate it so much. They're just such a, <laughs> such a willing group of individuals. I love that about them, and um, oh my goodness, my prize. Where did my prize go? Okay, well, uh, by the way, uh, uh, we have a prize for you, and uh, it's a brand new car, all right? And I'm sure you could use that, okay? I just messed that up. Anyway, uh, here's the rules. You cannot use your hands, all right? If we you see you using your hands, we'll slap your hands, okay? So no use of hands. You have 30 seconds, and the person who consumes the most pie wins the brand new car. Most importantly, bragging rights, all right? Uh, we want you to cheer for them because they need encouragement. If you, like, have a special connection to one of them, you can even say their name, shout for them. At the end, uh, we'll do the applause meter and we will choose who the winner is. Not based on a personality cult, all right, but based on who seems to have consumed the most pie. Okay, team, are you ready? You guys ready to cheer? Some of you are like, I've never done that in a church before. It's okay. Ready? In five, four, three, two, eat pie. Here we go. Oh, come on. Get your faces into that pie. You guys are eating pie like little girls. Come on. Julie, I thought you were going to whoop this thing. You're scared of the pie. We have pie fear. Come on. Five, four, three, two, one. Stop. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. I need you guys. Uh, I need you guys to tilt your pie up. All right. Tilt it up. Okay. All right. Let's start here. How many, how many say Julie? <laughs> Could we have sympathy applause? All right. How many say John? <laughs> Your daughter, okay. And how many say Big Dan? Now, I mean, seriously, on camera, that's sad, man. John, and, and Julie, you were bragging to me how you're going to take this thing. I mean, wow, all talk, right? Dan, you are the man. Let's get it up, all right? And, uh, and Dan, I'll have your car for you later, okay? All right, but it's a wonderful little matchbox car you'll enjoy, all right? Okay, wow. That, that was like pie everywhere. That was good, all right? And you're, some of you are sitting there going, Pastor Dale, did you not have enough time to study this week? Were you looking for something to fill the time with? I could have stayed home and watched the National Football League. What's this all about? How can this have any... What's this have to do with materialism? It has a lot to do with materialism. 
It has a lot to do with it because, you see, every week we're involved in this giant pie-eating contest. And the culture around us, marketers, advertisers, our friends, our neighbors, are applauding us and telling us to gorge ourselves on materialism. Take it in. Have more. Eat as much as you can. Fill your shell up with everything the world has to offer you. Buy this. Take that. Swap for this. And you'll be ultimately satisfied. And you know what? In heaven's eyes, we must look absolutely ridiculous. Here we are, the image of God, and we smear all over ourselves materialism. And God looks at us and God knows that none of that can satisfy us. It just makes us look really silly. All that stuff smeared over our lives, but not satisfied deep within. In fact, the scriptures warn us about the danger of trying to fulfill ourselves internally with external things. 1 John chapter 2 puts it this way. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. Let's hold it there for a minute. What are those things? I mean, cars, boats, money, all that stuff. It's just inanimate objects. It's just inanimate objects. Like I said earlier, what makes them dangerous, what makes them evil, what can cause us promise when we live for those things. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Passage goes on and says... For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Like you finish this with me. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See what he's saying? God's not trying to be grumpy and mean. God's just saying, don't put your bets on. Don't fill your life with the stuff that ultimately leaves you empty. And fades away and spoils and rots. Just fill your life with me. I'll give you life. I'll give you satisfaction that the world cannot possibly give you. No matter how slick the advertisers are. No matter how much you're pressured. It's all a lie. Now let me ask you a question. Have you bought into that lie? Do you struggle with materialism? Say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I got a little quiz I want to give you. Put together by a man named Jason Carroll, a professor at a a prestigious school. It's five questions, and I want you to answer them for yourself. If you're the head of a family or a leader in your relationship, think about that. But really, don't focus on the people around you. Focus on you and just be honest honest right now okay just be honest to yourself we're not going to reveal your answers because it's in your mind but just for a moment put all the guards down and just be honest question number one here's the first question are you looking up the economic ladder or down here's what that means all of us look for a point of comparison young people do this as well we all look for a point of comparison a benchmark by which we try to decide if we are successful or not, if we have achieved status or not, if we have enough or not. Sometimes we look down and we see who's beneath us on the stepladder, and we look at that and we go, well, as long as I'm better than him, as long as I'm better than her, then I can feel good about myself. The problem is we're never always, we're never on the top rung, so we have a tendency to look up the ladder as well. 
And what happens is we look up the ladder and we see people, our neighbors, our co-workers, our boss, perhaps family members, other kids at school. And we say, man, I gotta, I, if I could just dress like them, if I could just drive a car like that, if I could just have a job like that, if I could have, you know, all the gadgets and technology they have, then, then I'd really be satisfied. But you know how that goes, right? We climb really hard, we get up there, we've got what they have, and there's always somebody who has even a bit more ahead of us. Is that how you spend your life thinking about who you need to be like or who you're glad you're not like? Question number two. How much is your mood impacted by either the lack or the attainment of a physical possession? Now, don't answer this out loud, but how many of you kind of get a little high when you go out shopping? And, and you come back, you know, with your bag full of clothes, your new outfit, and, and, you, and it makes you feel good. You're like... Oh, I feel good. I have these things now I can wear. And it lasts for about a week. And then you, then you go to school or you meet somebody in the neighborhood, somebody you know, and they're wearing the next best outfit. Or they have the next best gadget, the newest version of what you just bought, iPhone, iPad, whatever it is. And you're like, ah, I've got to go buy one for myself. Does that happen in your mind, that process? Number three, do you discard or stop using perfectly good items because they're not the latest style or technology? Maybe you've got a pair of jeans and uh, you bought them last year and they fit and they still fit, but you wouldn't be caught dead in them this year because they're not this year's fashion. Maybe you have an iPhone or some other gadget and, you know, you bought it last year and it works fine. Everything's cool about it, but there's this newer version of it and now you're dissatisfied because you don't have the new version of that. I mean, if that's where you're at, if that's how you think, if that's how you feel, if that's how you're being pressured, it's a dangerous place to be. Number four, do you confuse needs and wants? Yesterday's luxury items become today's necessities. Do you ever find yourself trying to talk yourself into legitimizing the purchase of something that you think will fulfill your life? Do you ever find yourself doing that? Like you know you don't need it. But there's this little conversation going on in the back of your brain that's giving you ten reasons why you probably should have it. In fact, you must have it. You know, one of the areas this is really predominant is in the whole area of technology. There's so much, I mean, technology drives consumerism, doesn't it? And technology promises to make our life simpler. How many of you believe that lie? I mean, cell phones and computers and email and Facebook and Twitter and on and on it goes. It suffocates my life. I really despise email, to be honest with you. When people email me and send me pages and pages, you know, and my staff loves me for this, I just send back, interesting, yes, thank you, no, maybe. You know what I mean? I'm just a one or two word person on email. That's enough for me. You know what I mean? Your whole life becomes consumed by voicemail and keeping up with this and that and this will make it faster and on and on it goes, man. There's no time left for our lives. I'm getting off track here, but i got to say it because my friends are here. Do you know what the average 18-year-old texts 3,000 times a month? That's a, like 100 a day or some ridiculous number. That is, wow! In fact, kids don't talk anymore. They just text. 
I have, my son is in Afghanistan right now. And before he left, if I wanted to, if I wanted to talk to him, I didn't call. Because I wouldn't get a return phone call. I would call, no answer. I would text immediately afterwards and he'd text me back. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole technology age. It's just life is going to be easier. Life is going to be simpler. It actually makes life a whole lot more complicated. Let me get off that hobby horse. Okay, there we go. All right. All right. And then number five, do you value and judge people based on material distinctions? Now, I really want you to think about that, those of us who live in the western suburbs of Chicago, because we do that all the time, consciously, subconsciously. Somebody pulls up to you in a luxury vehicle. You, you automatically have a certain value judgment about that person. You may not know their character. They could be a mass murderer. But as far as you're concerned, because they're driving the right machine, they must be hip. They must be cool. They must be successful. They must have it all together. Just like when somebody pulls up next to you in their, you know, their jalopy that's, you know, got a couple of rust spots in it and it's outdated and old, you automatically look at them and you have a certain opinion about them. Hmm, must be going through hard times. They must really be struggling. I found out reading a couple of years ago that, you know, millionaires oftentimes drive old beat up cars. That oftentimes... You know, they're the ones that are driving the big Buicks or the big, the, you know, the older Ford trucks. And that was research study that was done. Isn't it interesting how we tend to judge each other and form value opinions about each other based on what we see? And we could, we could be totally wrong based on that. How about you today? Do you struggle with materialism? Do you struggle with thinking and believing that if you have more, you'll be happy? It won't make you happy. It'll make you more miserable. Do you know that more marriages are ruined because of financial debt than infidelity? You know, more families and more young people struggle because of the pressure of materialism than anything else. The quest to have more. And in the end, it just leaves us tired, exhausted, empty, and discouraged. I mean, look at what we've been through the last couple of years as a nation. The economic crisis built up and caused because of the consumer mindset, because of irresponsible management by chasing after everything and going into headlong debt in order to have all these things. It's, it's bankrupted us as a nation. And what's fascinating to me is how we're willing to get back on that treadmill again. We're all hoping and praying that we'll be able to spend a lot of money again and have a lot of things get back on America's number one socially accepted addiction, materialism. And we just don't learn our lesson. Because the world's always applauding us. Chase after lies. It's a drug that Satan's given us to keep us preoccupied so we won't face the truth. And the truth is God. You and I have got to come to a place in our life where we believe that only God can satisfy me. Only God can satisfy us. And God says, when you will fill your life with me, when you'll make me the filling of your life, when you'll consume and aspire and desire me with that same passion and energy you desire things, then you will be filled. Then you'll be satisfied. And then God says, I'll teach you and show you how to manage all those things in your life. You see, when I look at things, and we're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. When I look at things and I see them as a means to bring God's glory. 
when I look at the stuff in my life and say, wow, this is a way for me to bring God glory, then God begins to satisfy me. But when I look at things, when I look at money as a, as a means to satisfy my cravings and my desires, it's like a drug. You get hooked on it and you can never get enough. One hit, I've got to have a little bit more next time and a little bit more next time. If you're tired of living that way, don't miss the next couple of weeks. Because we're going to talk about how to set God as our priority, fill our lives first with Him, then use the things in our life to glorify Him and experience ultimate, true satisfaction. Which is what I think all of us are ultimately longing for. Amen? Do you want to be satisfied? Young men and women, do you want to be fulfilled in your life? Then it starts with God and then managing the things that God gives us for his glory. That is ultimate satisfaction. So, you know, when I hear people say that this younger generation, because we've been so materialistic and so greedy in our generation, when I hear people say they're not going to have the benefits we have or had, I actually, I think it's a good thing. I'm not sure it's a bad thing anymore. Because then it's going to cause them to look someplace else. And if they'll look to God and fill God up with their lives, it doesn't matter what the world's economy is. When people put God first, God looks after his own. Amen? God looks after his own. So don't miss the next couple of weeks as we are going to have a blast. If you thought we had a little bit of fun today with pie eating contest, wait till next weekend. I won't tell you what's in store, but let's pray. Father, thank you today that in a, in, in a world of absolute uncertainty, economic uncertainty, where people are chasing after things to satisfy a void that only you can fill, thank you for showing us the truth. Thank you for leading us back to yourself. Thank you, Father, for the promise of satisfaction guaranteed when we put you first. And then use those things, what you choose to give us. Use those things for your glory, for your praise, and for your honor. Lord, I thank you that this is not the end of our lives, this world. God, this is just the warm-up for the real deal, eternity with you. And yet so much of our future rests on what we do with this short space. God, we want to hear and we want to know. So we're going to be here. And I just ask you to meet us, to meet me, and speak to us in a fresh and wonderful way. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So don't miss the next couple of weeks. Now, we got a little surprise for you when you walk out. We got little Debbie Pies out there for you. All right? Don't rush out. All right? One per person. Let's not be materialistic and see people walking out with handfuls. Little Debbie gave us a great discount. Have a great rest of the day. God bless you. Enjoy yourself.